as you've heard earlier, this is Trinity Sunday. And if you're not familiar with a liturgical tradition or an Anglican tradition in particular, you might think this is one of those many exuberances of, of a church that looks back to tradition and finds great life in it. But you know what? I'm not sure I really need to be focused on it or particularly engaged in it. But if that's your uh, thinking, I, certainly quite understandable, but I want to invite you into this time in the Scripture as we focus on the Trinity, as we focus on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because if you do, you will find that you'll be greatly rewarded in this way, in the way that God chooses to reveal Himself to us, is not sort of unipersonic, but it is who He is. He is Father. He is Son. He is Holy Spirit. And to know Him that way is to come away with a greater, uh, not only appreciation, but experience of the riches of who He is. For He longs to be known. And so when you think of the gospel reading that Cindy just read, it's, as you heard, it was pretty brief. Jesus says, then Jesus came and said, excuse me, the gospel says, then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying to his disciples that those who would follow me are to be baptized, are to be sealed, are to be anointed. They belong to me, and they are sealed not just in God's name or the Lord's name, but very specifically in the name of the Father, name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And that is deliberate, obviously, from the Lord. In one hand, he wants to speak to the Jewish converts who say, they said the Shema every day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. But who is Jesus? Who is the Messiah? He's not just presented as as just a human. He's presented as God. And so part of the, the mystery of the Trinity, the challenge of the Trinity to new believers, particularly Jewish believers, is how is it that we worship Jesus and we say we worship Yahweh and we know that the Spirit has appeared from time to time. How do we do all that and still say there's one God? At the same time, they're spreading the gospel amidst the Mediterranean and Greek culture, and they have many gods. And so the Lord is saying, this is who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that because this is who God has chosen to reveal who he is to us. And we'll be using the, uh, the benefit of the, the Book of Common Prayer, particularly the Nicene Creed. We say that every week. It, it unpacks what that means, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a lot of dense theology in it. Um, and maybe you're not somebody who really likes dense theology. And that's okay. Uh, you might be encouraged by what Anne Lamott said. I didn't need to understand the hypostatic unity of the Trinity. I just needed to turn my life over to the one who came up with redwood trees. So in some ways, I don't want this to be so kind of theological that we're losing sight of the absolute beauty and the way that the revelation of God is to us, you know, masks that in any way. But at the same time, my hope and my prayer has been that he will draw us even deeper into who he is by what he reveals to us. So as I pick up my book of common prayer and I turn to the creed, which we'll say shortly after the sermon, 
hear this. It starts this way. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and of all that is visible and invisible. I think there's a, uh, if there's a, uh, I think we have a slide of the Trinity up there, or we'll have a slide, there it is. You'll see those three rings which classically have represented Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet are of one substance. Three persons in one substance. But here we're considering the Father. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the one who's presented to us as the creator God. He is the one who's presented to us here as the Almighty. The one who has made everything that we can possibly know visible and invisible. And he is all-powerful over all that he has created. And that's greatly encouraging all by itself and on its face. That there is nothing that the Lord allows. There's nothing in our world, in our lives, in our personal life that doesn't in one sense have his sovereign permission over that. As confusing and as hard as that is sometimes, as disconcerting as it is, as surprising as it can get. Nevertheless, we belong to a God in whom all things hold together. Then we see Jesus listed next. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. The second member of the Trinity, the second person in this Trinity is the Lord Jesus Christ who is called the only begotten Son of God. Part of the challenge for the church fathers who, who were trying to formulate, okay, we have three persons, but we're still monotheistic. How do we actually explain that? And particularly to have Jesus, the Messiah, come and walk in this earth, who's fully divine as well as fully human. They needed to, and he was born of the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. How do we... How do we keep faith with, with the inherent tension in that? And so they say very truly that they recognize his divinity. Remember that John says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Speaking of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus who existed for all eternity as the logos. Not as the incarnate Jesus who now sits at the right hand of the Father. But as the logos. So he is always He's, he is God, so he has existed for eternity as God does. And yet at the same time, he is called the Son of God. And so the fathers came up with the term begotten. And they explained this, God from God, light from light. Jesus was not created by God the Father. Jesus is part of the Godhead himself. But the manifestation of him is begotten. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. They put that in so that we would know that there's no diminution of his role. He's not a lesser anything. He is fully God. He's of one being with the Father. And through him, all things were made. You know, hearkening back to uh, Colossians. You know, by him and through him, all things were made. And in him, all things hold together. But I thought, God the Father made everything. Well, yes. God made everything. So that includes not only the Father, but now we see it including the Son. And if you know your Genesis account, you know that the Spirit hovered over the waters. We see glimpses of the Trinity in the Old Testament. But the emphasis, just like you would see an emphasis here, you could put one of those circles as the Father, another as the Son, a third as the Holy Spirit. Each has their own particular manifestation, and yet all of them are of the same being. 
Each of those manifestations are called persons, that we would translate that persons today, and yet they are of the same substance. One of the church fathers described it as, this, as if you had three suns, you know, like helium suns, hydrogen, I guess there. You kind of know what I'm talking about. Our sun, multiply it by three, you now have three, but they're intersecting, and at the same time, you can see some distinctive. That's fascinating. Then we have the Holy Spirit. By the way, for you historians, this takes most of the fourth century to come to what we're talking about today, to come to what I'm reading. 321 or 325 is the Council of Nicaea that focuses on who Jesus is and who the Father is. 381, the Council of Constantinople, brings the Holy Spirit into this. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Well, I thought that's what they called Jesus. They did. The giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. There is a sense in which the Father begets the Son. There's a sense in which the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. But He too, the Spirit, is worshipped and glorified. That's confirming that He is also one of three persons. So there's a lot, uh, I'll admit, even in that. But I want us to see a few things that are presented here. First of all, that by saying we believe in one God, there is the unity of God, one substance, three persons. That is the classic formula. Here's, here's what our 39 article says. No one, there is no one living but the true God. There is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body, parts or passions, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. And in unity of this Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power and eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So what do we see? We see that there is one being. We see that there's such a connection. Think about the scriptures that this may have already uh, brought up in, in your mind. You know, I, what does Jesus say? I, I can do nothing but what the Father shows me. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? But he's called in places the Spirit of Christ to point us to the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus. The Father begets the Son, that we would know who the Father is. Jesus can say that to Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so what we learn that in this oneness, there is also, and the way these persons express themselves is, they, first of all, God is a God in relationship. I love this. That's a phrase by Stanley Grenz, who wrote a good theological primer called The Community of God. To, to understand the Trinity is to understand God in relationship. And then the church fathers, when they tried to speak of the dynamic that's existing as Father and Son and Holy Spirit are interacting, they said they are the expression of love. That that's what you have to call it. Each is giving of themselves for the benefit of the Godhead. God is giving his son to be sacrificed for us. The son is giving the spirit to be alongside of us between now and the time he comes for us. The spirit is giving him of himself to give glory to the son and to the father. This is the definition of love. If those of you who are on the recent retreat heard Father Ryan speak of self-donation, I love that as a concept. The self-donation, this is what love is. This is how love is expressed. And so the members of the Trinity are in relationship and that relationship is characterized by mutual love. So what's really great about that 
is that if, I under, if I'm seeking to understand God, and if your friends are seeking to understand God, you have people in your block or at your work, and they're trying to say, okay, you worship a God, you worship, I hear you're a Christian, what does that mean? We can say who God is by how he has revealed himself as the Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. We can speak to the fact that he longs to be revealed to us. This is why he comes as a human. This is why Jesus gets most of the press, if you want to think of it that way, in the Nicene Creed. It's the most elaborate description. Because if we have seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. And so we can say, if you want to know God, it's because we can know him because he has revealed himself and what he has done for us and how he interacts with us. And he longs to do that because he has made us in many ways, similar to himself. We are people who are made for relationship, which is, in a sense, a reflection of the Trinity. We are people who are at our best and are most secure and long for the most to be loved and to be able to love others. That is very challenging in this world, this fallenness with all the issues and things that go with that. And it, it makes us pull back and it gives us pause and it, we, it fills us with doubts. We've seen too many data points to the contrary. And yet God says, I've made you to be loved. And only I can give you the, the knowledge of that through not only who I am through the word, but also, and this is where it gets really interesting and challenging for us, through the church. We are the community of love. We become the self-donating community. As Father and Son and Holy Spirit are each giving to them, of themselves to the Godhead so that God can be who we are, he wants to be to us. So we, and we saw this last week, we get gifts given to us, spiritual gifts that as we contribute them to this body, together we grow up in, the, in a greater awareness and experience of Christ and of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. If we don't or if we get uh, sidetracked or if we get wounded or we just have other, we get distracted, then who God has made us doesn't get into the community as perhaps it could be. So God is a God in relationship. God is a God of love. We can only understand ourselves by understanding God. And by that, as he reveals himself, he also reveals, because of what Jesus has done, our worth. Because of his calling to go and make disciples, there's a sense of purpose. Uh, because of his, what he says that he'll come back for us and, and restore us and we, we will be with him, there's, there's a destiny a future, a telos, a perfection. So that's really exciting. I mean, that's fantastic. So what, but we don't want to leave it there. I, I want to, because I'm aware of the fact that, and my hope has been that just the majesty as well as the mystery of God revealed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would draw us closer to him. And yet I am aware that that is hard to do. This, this message may find any one of us in a place of challenge and difficulty and distance from God in the way that has just been described for a variety of reasons. In the last couple of weeks, I've talked to a young person, talked to other people that have folks in their life, and they're, uh, just a common theme would be a wrestling or a struggling with trying to understand the God that they grew up with or the God that they heard about or the God they thought they believed in, how does, that, how does he actually explain or correspond or deal with 
the, the heightened sense of challenge and things that are going on in this world. How does he do that? Some people I know have put their faith kind of on pause, taking a little break. They don't know. It's not that they're um, disbelieving. They just don't know how to reconcile. They don't know necessarily what to believe. The God of, of victory that perhaps they grew up with, and yet they see setbacks. They see, they, you know, they walk outside their door, and they see people that are homeless or people that are drug-addled, or they see, they turn on the news, and civilians are getting bombed by missiles in Kiev. They see civil war in the Sudan. They see chaos in Haiti. They see any number of things. They see economic disparities that are growing. And they say, after being bombarded by this, day in and day out. So where is that God who loves? Where is that God who is almighty? Where is that God who is renewing all things? There's real dissonance with that. And so I just want to offer what I have found helpful in such times. First of all, that the God who... um, allows us to be in the midst of a really challenging and difficult world does not allow us to be there on our own or by ourselves. That for all the things that we may feel inside at times, he actually makes a way for us to express them. Any number of psalms will help us. Psalm 11, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice and the upright will see his face. Or crying out, Psalm 71, be my rock and refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? The word of God is candid. It invites us in. It it gives a name to our place where we may find ourselves. It allows us to express that. Sometimes, I don't know if you grew up in this tradition. I I grew up in a tradition where I didn't think kind of grumbling and complaining was something that was okay. Then I read the Psalms, I'm like, these guys got all kinds of grumbles and complaints. And I can, can, you know, but but they're still bringing it to the Lord. It's legitimate in terms of what they're going through. And yet, at the same time, they're bringing it to him. And so I say that the Lord, what this scripture tells me, what the, the way that the Trinity works for us, works for me in contexts like this, is the Lord that wants us to know him in the midst of all this. He will give us the scriptures. He will give voice to what we are feeling. And we don't have to do anything but to sit in that place and even just to cry out for mercy. But if we do, or as we do, That's part of us getting to know him. That's part of us asking to see him for the way he's revealing himself. To see that when he is the almighty, when he works something that you would consider a breakthrough in whatever situation that you're going through, that is God the Father, the almighty, making things. I can tell you about stuff that work, breakthroughs I've had in relationships, breakthroughs I've had in ministry, things that I did not think would happen. Happened. I wanted them to happen. My faith was declining. If you ever had, uh, you know, your car's on a quarter tank and then suddenly it's like on a 16th and like, what, what happened? 
Maybe that's just my car. Seems to go down a lot quicker than it used to. But I've seen God the Father. You know, I'm in touch with the Father, that powerful, that almighty. I've seen the Lord allow me to forgive people that have hurt me um, in ways that I thought, hmm, that's going to take a while. But then somehow sitting at the feet of Jesus long enough to feel and to be reminded of his forgiveness of me enables me to say, okay, Lord, what you've done for me, you've forgiven an unpayable debt. I can forgive 20 pounds, 20, 20 bucks. Or the Holy Spirit, and to see how he um, is alongside to do all the things that the Spirit does, to encourage, to heal, to um, make connections where I didn't see them. Have you ever found yourself worrying or wrestling with something and suddenly God just puts some, the Spirit puts something in your head and you go, yes, that's the word that I needed. Yes, that's the direction I need to take. Yes, that's the answer. Here's what I'm saying. There are so many ways that God wants to be experienced. And it is particularly in the harder times that if we are open, we will experience him. Because he is always a good shepherd. He knows that we can get stuck. And he doesn't leave us there and say, straighten up and fly right. When we're at our greatest place of, of discomfort and anxiety and wonder and questioning and putting God on pause, he seeks us out. And so for us today and for those friends that might be benefited from the words, my encouragement, my challenge for this week is look for ways wherever this message finds you, to, to look for ways that the God who is our, our Heavenly Father will make a way. Look for ways that the Lord who loves and forgives us is, is expressing that to you. Look for ways that the Holy Spirit is making connections and giving you words. And you'll see that what he's doing is lifting our head beyond what is so challenging in front of us to see he who is almighty, he who is always loving us, and he who will always be with us. Amen. Amen.